This is Gunnar Lovelace, your co-host of But Are You Thriving? In this episode, I interview Santi Gold. We met in Vermont a few years ago when we were both speaking at a very small event organized by Bernie Sanders. From there, we bonded on spirituality, health, and environmental issues. In the blossoming friendship, we decided to collaborate on a concept I was working on called Party with a Purpose, where we shut down two miles of downtown Los Angeles with thousands of people as a First Amendment dance party closing down six big banks that were funding billions annually in rainforest destruction. She graciously performed at the dance party where she brought her incredible talents and energy to the gathering. Since then, we've stayed in contact as she's expanded her horizons beyond the music industry, and we've often shared many of the struggles we both have staying healthy while juggling life and working hard to create businesses that make the world a better place. So without further delay, here is the episode. Hello, everybody. This is Gunnar Lovelace, your co-host of But Are You Thriving? I'm also a co-founder of Thrive Market. So happy to be here today with a dear friend and ally in many things, Santi Gold. So great to have you on our podcast. Hi, so happy to be here. I uh, so appreciate you making time. I know as a mom and an entrepreneur and an artist in the 21st century, your time is very precious. And I'm really, really excited to share your work and our conversation with our audience. We have a few questions that we like to like run through kind of at the beginning. And, you know, obviously I'm a huge fan of your work and your music and been tracking your expansion of your creativity and entrepreneurial life but I just thought for our audience, in your own words, would love to just have a little bit about your background and what it is that you feel like is relevant to share about what you're focused on these days. Okay. Well, my name is Santi Gold, which is really Santi White, but my performing name is Santi Gold. I'm from Philadelphia. I spent a lot of time in Brooklyn, New York. I went to Wesleyan University. And then... I started working in the music industry, first as a songwriter and then as a performer, singer, songwriter, artist. And then as I did that, I sort of ventured out to, I mean, really, I always just say I'm an artist and that's like the blanket description of who, who and what I am, because I've basically found ways through my music to just use my creativity across so many different things, including directing videos and designing costumes and doing choreography. And now... And now I've made, with this new record, I've, I've made a T by the same name of my record that is supposed to be sort of the multi-sensory experience of some of the themes of the record. And then I also started a podcast that was inspired by the process of making the record called Noble Champions. Yeah, so that's where I'm at these days. Beautiful. And, you know, you and I have always talked about health and wellness and consciousness and spirituality and kind of where we are as a species. And I'm, I'm curious, was there like a definitive, like aha moment in your life that really kind of expanded or changed your views on health and wellness? Or was it more an incremental process for you? Well, the initial aha is so strange and doesn't make any sense, right? But I'm going to tell you <laughs> Sounds but like it a was good story. When, <laughs> I mean, it, it doesn't make any sense at all. I was in college and it was like my sophomore year and we went to Blockbuster to rent some movies to watch. And they used to have so much junk food and they had like all the stuff that I never normally ate. But we just went crazy. And I remember we bought 
Twizzlers and Cherry Coke and Milk Duds and all this stuff. And then we rented Clueless. (laughs) <laughs> which doesn't I'm telling you the story makes no sense so we get we get you know back to the house and we're watching Clueless and amongst all the things happening I remember they had like a meal on their plate that looked pretty healthy and I was like I want my life to be like that it was such a weird thing to get out of the movie Clueless and it wasn't that healthy it was just like a clean little plate of vegetables and some meat and whatever but I was like I want my life to be like that specifically about eating healthy in that moment And so I didn't know anything about what that meant, really. You know, I grew up, my mom's from Mississippi and my dad is from Philadelphia. And my dad used to like junk food and candy and stuff. And my mom, she fried a lot of food. I mean, she liked cooked food, but they fried a lot of stuff. And I didn't really have an idea what healthy meant. So the first thing I said was, I'm not going to eat chicken anymore. It was just the only thing I knew to say. And my diet was very chicken heavy at the time. And so I just set about in Middletown, Connecticut in the 90s, early 90s, trying to figure out what you ate when you didn't eat chicken. And it took me into these new stores, these health food stores. And and I feel like then it was just a very slow discovery process that lasted throughout my life. You know, when you, you put yourself in a different environment and you start learning, like, what are other options to eat? And, oh, what's yoga like? And what's qigong? And what's shiatsu? And, and it just keeps going from there. What kind of meditation is this? What's transcendental? So it just grew from this one decision that I made, I don't know, out of thin air, <laughs> And it just it just changed the course that I was on. So it's such a random way to be to be know. you know eating Twizzlers, <laughs> watching uh, Clueless. Uh, I, I, I was I was expecting something <laughs> something different. Uh, you know, my, I'm telling you. I mean, but see, uh, that's what's so cool about it. It's like it starts with where you're at. Like totally, that's where I was at. Totally. You know? No, I mean it's it's also just it, exactly, and, and you know I think. My guess, knowing you, is you've probably always been just a student of life. So right. you're you're just kind of like always eager to learn, um, which is really, I can relate to that. You know, for me, I'm just always so curious about everything. And the fact that you kind of took yourself through that journey, I mean, it never ends, right? You Every time you and I talk, we're talking about some, you know, you know, wacky new thing that we're doing for yeah. our health. So, it, you know, for me, my entryway was hypochondria and, and my mother, she was very focused on it. But, you know, oh, just being afraid of constantly being concerned I was dying of some illness or disease, um, you know, made well, me. I was going to say that too, because cancer runs in my family and uh-huh. my grandmother, my father's mother, she had passed away before I was born from breast cancer at like, I think she was about 46. And then many of her siblings and then my father eventually passed away from pancreatic cancer and my aunt. And so as, you know, as time went on, I was very, I think that's really, I'm not going to say that I'm making decisions out of fear, but I also want to do my best, you know? <laughs> I, <laughs> I, would say, my best. I would say I've made a lot of decisions around my health and wellness out of fear. Right. Uh, um so I didn't realize that you and I had hypochondriac tendencies. Yeah, it's actually, honestly, it's probably, if I were to look back on my life, it's one of the greatest singular sources of suffering in my life has been the way I have tortured myself with hypochondria. It's such an amazing, uh, and I think, you know, it's it's also like a, relates to a curiosity of like death in general. Like what's the transition? How does it work? Which is obviously a, a much deeper conversation. But I don't feel like I'm a hypochondriac. I feel like 
I am, I'm a bit of a perfectionist, which is a weird thing to come into this conversation. But what happens is if you're like, if you know that something is the right thing to do for yourself and you're not doing it, there's this like nagging. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Like almost guilt. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's that it's like, you know what to do. So why aren't you doing, Mm -hmm. why aren't you taking all of these supplements and doing all of these different meditations and exercises every day while you're raising children and being an artist? So that's more for me. It's not like, Mm -hmm. I don't feel good for you. I'm I'm, I'm really happy (laughs) for you that you're not a hypochondriac. I don't think I am, but I definitely, I know I think about it, you know, I think about, oh, this prevents cancer. This is good. And you should be taking this every day. And and so I just, I'm more just know what I need to pay attention to and look out for. And I try, but the worst thing for me is stress. That's the one thing that I really, I know know. that's, that's in this, in this, the speed of society right now. And the thing, all the things that you're supposed to do to survive, it's not really, it's hard to not have an extreme amount of stress and even yeah, anxiety. Yeah. How's your sleep? Um, depends. Right now, it's not very good. Yeah. Because I have three kids. I have four-year-old twins and an eight-year-old. And they they still get up in the night and come into our room. All of them. Yeah. So it's like just musical beds all night. And then when I'm woken up, I have a hard time going right back to sleep, especially if there's a lot going on. My mind is like overactive and I can't turn it off sometimes. So sometimes when I wake up, I'm up for like three hours and then it really affects me in a bad way. That's really intense. I'm the same way. Once I get woke, I'm super light sleeper in general. Once I get woken up, especially if I'm in a more stressed out place, which has unfortunately been more than I like to admit, I have a hard time going back to sleep. I have a few tricks that have definitely helped me, like uh, having an audiobook ready to go. Me too. <laughs> that that really helps me. Um, and like any have, audiobook, you know, it can't it can't be too exciting because then I get drawn in. Like, it, but it can't be too boring. It has to be somewhere in uh. between because otherwise my mind goes off. And then I have these like uh, zero EMF headphones, these air tube headphones. Mm-hmm. What do you use to listen to when you're when you're sleeping at night? Honestly, I, I used to have these little in-ear Bose noise cancellation ones, mm-hmm. but I don't even know what happened to them. And so now I just turn my phone down really quiet and mm-hmm. so nobody else can hear. It's like almost right by my head, but I have it on, on airport. I'm going to send you a link to a headphone that actually takes away noise, but it puts no EMFs into your head. Oh, cool. It's a little air tube headphone that I use for sleeping. I'll, I'll send you a link yeah, to it. Yeah, send me that. Uh, yeah. But there's this there's this audiobook and I actually haven't even read the whole book and I've had it for quite a while but it's called The Self in Full Bloom by uh-huh. Mukti. Uh-huh. And it's teachings and practices for embodied awakening. Yeah, yeah. And I love Mukti. Really? Yeah. There's this chapter 17 that's this meditation that literally <laughs> whenever I wake up I just go straight to chapter 17 and I literally if it doesn't work the first time I play it on re- repeat until yeah. I fall asleep. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. Pema Chodron's When Things Fall Apart has been the book for me this last year that I I probably listened to it 20 times the same way every time I would wake up and I would just, you know, work my way and then start over again. All right, so we're in a day of your life which I gather is not all that regular. I, I suspect that there's a lot of irregularity in your life, given being a mother and an entrepreneur and an artist. What are the habits that have stuck for you that have been a game changer in terms of your health? Well, there are some things 
that I've gone in and out of over the years. And right now is has been a particularly rough time to implement everything. But meditation is always something that I, I try to come back to as much as I can possibly get it in there because I recognize the immediate benefits of just helping to regulate my nervous system. You know, when, when there's so meditate? much... When when do you tell when you typically try to do it? Um, that's the thing. My schedule is so erratic that that's why it's hard for me to fit it in. Mm-hmm. But I just recently went back to doing transcendental meditation because it's like you can literally set your clock for twenty minutes, and I know that in that time I can drop in quickly and. It will be a benefit if I can just get in 20 minutes. And if I can do that once a day, amazing. If I can do it twice a day, even better. And I just try to do it whenever I find that I have 20 minutes. You know, if, if nobody's home for a minute, I can just do it and I'll do it. It's really hard to fit in, honestly. And then um, for years I did Qigong, which I love so, so much, mm-hmm. which I haven't been doing since I had. I stopped when I had the twins. He sent me home because I, <laughs> when I had a single pregnancy, I did it all the way until like nine months. And Iyengar yoga I was doing as well. And then when I had the twins, I could barely stand up by five months. And he's like, okay, that's enough. But those types of things I love. I love to swim. I do just some movement work that's just like, you know, not stretching, but you activate all your muscles at the same time and just do things that sort of primal movements. And I try to do that sometimes. I don't know. I just try to stay active. Yeah, that's a, that's a good portfolio. I mean, it's a nice... I, I was talking to Marianne Williamson recently, and she re-encouraged me to meditate first thing in the morning. But I, I imagine with kids that are jumping into bed, that's a little bit difficult to do. Well, it's also then you have to get them dressed for school, hair. I've had yeah. like meltdowns are happening right now. <laughs> the mornings are like not yeah. happening for me. You know, so once they're at school, you kind of get a moment to take care of yourself. Kind of, but look, but then I have this podcast, and then I'm, you know, what I'm saying? It's it's pretty hard. Like sometimes the days just go, and sometimes that's that's to me that's the hardest part. When you know everybody you talk to, they're like, you just have to find time. And sometimes for me, there just really is no time, and that's when I really struggle. When it's like just time for myself. I mean. Because you've got to prioritize, right? You've always got to prioritize something. And I find that in this world, we often prioritize everything but self-care. Sometimes that's last. And then until you you realize you're falling apart. And then you're like, oh, yeah, I haven't been taking care of myself at all. And I think particularly mothers, that's a struggle for. Because, you know, being a mother is inherently sort of a selfless role. And we have to remind ourselves that we can't actually show up unless we can take care of ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, it's the world turns on mothers. I grew up with a single mom and just saw, I mean, I don't know how she did it. You know, like, I just literally don't know how she did it. She's so strong. And I see that in you too, you know, just like you have to so fiercely protect your time. And then the, the moment you actually have free time, you have to like reach deep into your soul and like, just choose to like focus your energy and create and like get shit done. You know, and obviously as an artist, it's like you might have these windows where you can create, but then maybe the muse doesn't arise, you know? So it's it's such an interesting thing. There's another thing too, because there's almost sometimes, see, there's two different types of self-care for an artist, right? Because the one self-care is actually to create, which is, that's the self-care for the soul to me. Mm -hmm. That's how I keep my spirit thriving. But sometimes that means I like to stay up late at night 
you know, because that's my hour. <laughs> that's when I start, juices start flowing and ideas because it's quiet. No one else is awake. And I can actually just, there's nobody emailing me or calling me and telling me what I have to do for the day. And it's my time. But then there's like, well, if you stay up late, then you're going to wake up early. And you're not going to get enough sleep. And so then it's not self-care for your body, you know? So that to me is a challenge is sometimes even created creativity comes before physical self-care. Yeah. And that's also not good because you got the kids and you got if you have a partner, you've got time for that. You've got your work and then you've got the creative space that you have to make. And then there's a physical body space. And it's just sometimes it takes a while to realize that they can be in competition with each other, the artist self and the general body care self. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's such. A, I think that's a really challenging one for health conscious artists in general, just the nocturnal nature of so many artists and just the circadian sleep disruption and how that gets managed is definitely something that I've seen with a lot of friends. Shifting gears a little bit, you've released your fourth album in September called Spirituals. And you shared with me the last time we spoke a little bit about canceling your own tour. And I I thought that was such a courageous and provocative way to approach your album and your work and would love for you just to share a little bit of that with our audience. Yeah. So I made this record called Spirituals mostly during the pandemic, part of it during lockdown. And like I said, you know, I had three small kids when we went to lockdown. My twins had just turned two and all of a sudden there was nowhere to go and nobody to come help. And it was just insanely challenging time, just trying to cook and clean and still had two kids in diapers and being up through the night, like I'd said. And then outside, you know, outside of the house, there was protests and riots and wildfires. And I mean, it was just really so overwhelming and just hopeless at times. And I had to figure out how I could create something because otherwise I felt like I was just going to sink. So. I found time to just sneak out to the back house and to work on music and recording. And luckily for technology, I was able to record with engineers and producers from afar. We ended up going to Squamish in British Columbia for five months where I was- I rented, So beautiful up there. It's so beautiful. I rented a cabin in the woods and literally just shipped all my music equipment out and I finished my record. And the record was really, you know, a beautiful record for me because it was a really about hmm, it was about personal evolution and it's my processing of a lot that was going on in the world and to me it was about taking care of myself and taking care of the world and rising above and creating the future that we want to live in and all these things and so then when it came time to hit the road to promote the record to tour well first of all we just come out. I mean, look, the pandemic is officially over, but it, it's the same thing. It's still here. So there's the challenges of that and the toll that the trauma of that experience wreaked on all of us is still very fresh and is still active. And coming out of that, everyone just rushes back to work. And with the musicians who had been sort of forced out of work for at least about two or three years, not being able to do shows in public venues, everybody rushed back in. And so it was an overcrowded market, but also 
with all that's happening in the world, the inflation is insane. The cost of gas alone for flights and hotels and tour buses, which was a shortage too, because so many people are out and crew members are shortage because everybody's out. It just became impossible to tour and make it make sense. Financially, economically, it didn't make sense, but also all that it takes to go into that, coming out of a time where you're already depleted and sort of beat up emotionally and, and physically and spiritually to be expected to jump back in to, for something that asked to leave your family for weeks on end and to not make any money. It just doesn't make any sense. And the music industry has been one that's been broken for a very long time at this point, but there's so many new challenges post-pandemic that it's just become undoable for so, so, so many artists. And I found out when I canceled my tour, and I, I felt like I had to cancel my tour because A, my body told me to. <laughs> my body was like, you're not able to do this tour. You're not going to do it. But also, it didn't make sense for me economically. And one thing that I learned from writing my record was like, stop crossing your own boundaries. Take care of yourself. And I was like, that wouldn't make any sense for me to be writing this message and then for me to go on this tour. It's the complete opposite of what this record's about. So I, I sent a letter to my fans explaining the situation. And I was really shocked at the re response, not just from my fans who were extremely supportive, but from so many other artists from all over the world who were going through the same thing. And for some reason, not for some reason, I kind of know why, but like nobody was talking about it publicly. And I think there's so many reasons why, but you know, we're in this culture where everything's based on these fake facades that we put up through social media and you're supposed to be like people are buying into this false idea of success a success that doesn't feel good to most of the people who achieve it first of all so it's a success defined by somebody else that actually doesn't work and so we're also caught up in that that it seemed extremely vulnerable to be honest and to say hey this actually isn't working because you fear you're gonna look like you're a failure or, or you're gonna lose your intrigue but the opposite was the case. It was like, oh, someone's honest, being honest and telling the truth. And, and the support and the, the amount of people that showed up for that and felt relieved to hear somebody that was making them feel heard and seen for their experience was overwhelming. Yeah, it's such a, so many different pieces of that that I think are just incredible. I mean, I think the music industry, people don't realize how corrupt it actually is. And how controlled it is by just a few players. And as an artist, it's it's so intense to go through that process. And so I just I think it's just really fascinating. And then, and then I, and then one of the things that I thought was so interesting about when you shared it with me the last time we spoke, it generated that the fact that that happened became kind of a viral thing into itself, right? And you had a ton of press about that whole topic in of itself, which which was, I'm sure was like a, a really great like collateral benefit for the album itself, but it was really interesting that unsurprisingly you led a very important conversation to be had about the music industry and the way it takes advantage of its artists. Yeah, it was because no one had written about it yet, which was which is amazing. And I talked some of the journalists were like, I've been trying to write this story for four years. You know, and nobody thought that anybody wanted to hear it until you wrote that and they saw the response from so many people and so many artists who were having the same experience. And this post-pandemic 
landscape is just undeniable. I mean, people are, are dropping tours left and right. And so you could see that there's something going on that wasn't happening before. And I think just the opportunity for people to be vocal about what it was, was great. And there's so much, I mean, that's not even, that's just like the very tip of, you know, one nail out of the floodgate because there's so much that needs to change in the music industry. Like you said, it is it is an industry that's broken. I mean, I don't know any other industry where you spend so much money making a product and then basically are forced to give it away for free. That's what the experience of the artist is. And the the people who, you know, the audiences don't realize that. They're like, oh, cool. Like we dream music now and it's great. And we're never going back. So it's got to be great. And it could be great if it was fair for artists. But they've created a system that's completely unfair for artists where artists don't really make any money from the streams and are left to kind of go out and figure out how to feed themselves, you know. And people think that touring is like, oh, well, you, they can just tour. But, you know, touring doesn't equate the same profits from selling music, you know, when you make music, but also it requires you to, the, the mental and physical toll of having to be on the road all the time is unsustainable. Even the people at the highest level, the people who are selling out arenas nightly are having like to go to the hospital and like stuff behind the scenes because it's grueling, it's unsustainable. And we need to talk about the sort of the rate of consumption and we need to talk about the entitlement of people for for music and the the fact that people have come to it's so it's become so devalued and people think of music as just something for the background of TikTok or something for the background of commercials or TV shows and it's free and kids growing up now can you imagine if if the your subscription is like just goes to your parents credit card there's really no concept of the fact that like a physical person is making this music and it's a job so how okay. do they get paid it's like you, the kids, like you press a button, there's music, you flick up on the switch, there's lights, you know? Um, and even these festivals that, I mean, some of the biggest festivals in the world are paying artists not even enough to, to fly to the festival to perform. And they're like, oh, well, it's good promo for you. While they pretend that they're nonprofit festivals and they make all this money because they make a donation of money to charity or something that they should be giving to artists. You see what I'm saying? I'm not saying don't give to charity, but first pay the performers. Yeah, so that they I, get- I, I think that piece about people don't even recognize where music comes from. It's it's a definitely like a it's amazing how pervasive you ask people where their food that we eat comes from and they say it's from the grocery store. And so, you know, it's I think it's a I really love many aspects of capitalism, but so much of it is also dysfunctional because it doesn't take in the true cost of the things that we buy or the ways that they're made. And, you know, I think it's one of the challenges that we face as a species right now is really in the absence of that information being readily available, we have to constantly ask ourselves, where did this thing come from and how was it made? And did it leave the world and the stakeholders worse off or did it leave them better off? And I think, you know, you and I have been very much in that conversation in our own lives and in our friendship, you know, like we're deeply dedicated to that idea of serving a higher power, a multi-generational positive future for humanity. And so I, I just, I think it's such an important conversation that we have to ask ourselves, where did this thing come from? And, you know, the convenience culture, everything's just like, we expect it. And 
And then we're conditioned to it. Like, you know, if, you know, the, just the way that we buy things on Amazon now, we don't even think about it. Like a couple of flicks of our finger and like a box shows up, you know? No, and it's so convenient. And the thing about it, though, is if you ever try to go get something locally instead, it's nowhere to be found anymore because everybody's getting shut down because, you know what I mean? It's like these huge monopolies are just, I mean, even like if they knock off people, I mean, they just, they've become so massive that you can't compete with them. And then there's really no other options sometimes. Like you have to really, I mean, you'd have to plan way in advance to find something because it's nowhere locally near you. Yeah, and, I mean, and I mean it's, 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 I mean, we at Thrive Market, our supply chain logistics are, it's really hard. It's really complicated. And because we strive to make it really affordable for people we had to come up with this membership model. And then even for people that couldn't afford a membership, we wanted people to have access. So we give a membership away for every paid membership. Yeah, that's amazing. But just the sheer logistics of like working with farmers all over the world and taking care of people in that process, taking care of the planet, getting it to a warehouse, taking care of our employees, our teams, getting it shipped to our customers, that's challenging, you know? And we're able to do it because our team is so good, but it's a knife fight. It's hard. It is not an easy business. But that's the thing. And I think that the biggest problem in America and pretty much, you know, worldwide at this point is the value of money over humanity. And the lack of concern for doing things sustainably and sustainably for the planet, but also sustainable for human beings. And that's how your mission at Thrive and like, you know, letting people know where the food comes from is actually the same mission as wanting people to know where their music comes from and how it's made. And I think there needs to be a shift of values where it's not just about the bottom line all the time, it's about the bottom line, the workers, the environment, people being able to support themselves, people being able to have balanced lives that, that are not making everybody have mental health issues. And, and then, you, you know what I mean? It's like we are actually ruining ourselves and the planets while a couple people reap all the benefits. And then instead of collectively being like, there's something wrong with this. Everyone's like, I want to be one of the couple people. <laughs> that's America. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, that's actually at the heart of the insanity, you know, that we get we get sold this completely insane vision of life as if it's the height of success. So, you know, that we're going to hold up this image of somebody who without consideration for anybody else so that they can have three yachts. And yeah. how did that actually happen in the first place? And what were the true costs of those empires, both in terms of the destruction of the planet and the suffering of people? I mean, you know, I, I was reading recently just the way that we're producing food today. Scientists estimate that we have less than 60 harvests left on the planet. Just wow. like in it, the, the sheer scope of industrial agriculture today, the way that we are destroying the topsoil with just incredible amount of toxicity, less than 60 harvests left on the planet, which which is a staggering statistic. You think it's like, oh my God, our grandchildren will be facing a future without a real shift in agriculture, which thankfully there are some really positive things happening. But unless those things become truly systemic, our grandchildren will be looking at a future where their children are gonna wonder 
are we amongst the last people to actually get consistently get food well on the planet? I know. And can you imagine what it's like for even teenagers now knowing that we're in this situation and how they're already feeling? I mean, that's the, the rate of depression right now is, is insane because it's it feels very hopeless, you know, and and I know that there are changes happening. And I and I, and I love that so much of the youth is so so motivated to do this work of of protesting and and pushing forward and it's so important but we need to do better i mean you know the 80 year old heads of the country need to do better and and um and joining this energy of real structural transformation i mean you and i have- yeah because this is just the politics thing is i mean the fact that it costs so much money to even run right can you imagine yeah. if we had young people who didn't care whether they're elected again. They just like, look, I want to change the law of farming. I want to make regenerative farming like what you have to do. And so they get in, they do it, and then nobody wants to reelect them. Fine. But we need like people to take risk. And I just think we're so stuck because of of the same old thing. It's the same. It's the capitalist thing. Yeah. And I I think I am fundamentally an optimist. I'm so inspired by the fundamental creativity of the human species, our capacity to create solutions and the the incredible creativity of our species. It's it's incredible. You just kind of zoom out and look at it and like, oh, it's so amazing. And yet there's just this, I think it's like unresolved survival trauma where we still so consumed with our own self-interest all the time. And I'm right there with you. I'm totally self-absorbed most of the time because I'm just trying to get through the day. It's survival, you know? And it's interesting because, you know, you and I have spent a lot of time talking about solutions and the challenges we face. And, you know, we met at a conference and like you, I spent a lot of time thinking about, well, how, how do we actually try to create those positive shifts. And, and, you know, one of the things that's been the most interesting fact pattern that I've seen is that these older white male, super wealthy captains of industry, very often they make some of the biggest changes that one has seen recently has actually come about from pressure from their daughters and their granddaughters. And I think that's such a facet. I, like, we, there's actually organizations now that specifically work to support and build bridges with the daughters of billionaires because it's been shown to be so effective in getting people to consider a broader perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's one thing that needs to happen. But I also think that. We need to create less billionaires. For sure. I mean, that's, <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, no argument there. No argument there. You know? So I'm curious, what does thriving and spirituality for you, how do those complement each other? Like, I feel like you and I like live so deeply, you live so deeply in the immediacy of your world, like as a mother and as an artist and an entrepreneur. And yet you have this huge landscape of your mind and your consciousness. And I'm curious how how those things meet in the context of thriving in spirituality. Well, I think the way that you thrive in spirituality or the way that I have is literally a perspective. You know, that we come here as spirits to experience a life that's meant to help our spirits evolve further. That's what I believe, right? So if you have that perspective throughout your life, then you are able to view everything as thriving in spirituality. 
which is a challenge, <laughs> you know, because the thing is, and that's why meditation is so important because it just helps renew the perspective. Because what happens is when you're in the mundane pressures of no sleep, work, financial stress, partner stress, whatever, environmental stress, you lose perspective. It's so overwhelming. It's physically taxing on the body. You're feeling sick. You're feeling exhausted. When you're exhausted, your brain's not working. And so just to be able to tap back in, often through creativity for me, and then sometimes through meditation, which also stimulates creativity, that's how I reconnect with the higher self. And that's something I learned, luckily, early enough that when I do creative acts, I'm able to tap into the higher version of myself and achieve a different type of perspective and even tap into a different consciousness. Even some of the stuff that I write, I've written words that I didn't know what they meant and I had to look them up. You know, (laughs) you're like, who's writing this? You know, and that's something I've learned. It's like all I have to do is go inward. And even like things I've practiced, I've done shamanic journeying where you can travel with your spirit animal and stuff like that. And that's about perspective. It's just being able to tap into the higher perspective to see without all the anxiety and the panic and the exhaustion where you are on, on your path and how the challenges that you face are actually working towards something and, and the surrender and the creativity of perspective to be like, what am I gaining from this? Like, where is this taking me? And it's really a path of constant self-reflection, like constant. And that's what's so beautiful about life is that along the path as you go on, if you're open to it, you're constantly finding a new way to see yourself and to challenge yourself. Like I've just recently started a book project that it's a memoir, but it goes back four generations of women in my family to my great grandmother in Mississippi. And it's like, you know, a lot of it is is really about some of the generational trauma and the progress of black women in America. And that's something that I've just newly been working with is, is like trauma that's from generations before me that I have and, and the somatic work. And like that stuff is so interesting. And I've just recently learned about it. And I'm always learning something. Mm-hmm. And I think I think the thing about being a creative, someone said this to me. They're like, oh, you know, they said it to me about youth, actually. They're like an age because you were like, I was like, I don't feel this old. And they're like, well age is nothing. Youth is the ability to constantly rebirth yourself in creativity and your ideas and your transitions in your life. And as long as you can do that, you never need to feel old because it's always new. And I think it's the same with creativity and how you view yourself in the world. It should be that it's always a rebirth and it's always transformation. I love that. I I, I really, we talked on this at the beginning, you know, it's just the whole orientation of being a forever student of life. It's just a funner way to live. I just really, it's more fun. It's more interesting. And so I really resonate with that. And yeah, shifting to another topic, one of the things we've talked about in the past is this, anyway, it kind of relates as this kind of orientation of like, like wanting to always stay open-minded and just kind of like the facileness of one's consciousness and identity framework where we're not so rigidly attached to a viewpoint and all of the polarization that has come from that. And I'm curious, you know, you shared some perspectives on how some of the ways that you've been navigating wokeness, for example, with the podcast interview that you have. And I'm curious, like how that shows up for you in navigating in the popular culture. 
You mean basically being open-minded and being able to... Yeah, you like you shared that you're bringing two people with very different viewpoints. And one of them, there's some really significant controversy around him, for example, and just kind of like your own deliberations and perspectives on bringing those kinds of voices together. Well, my most recent podcast was on cancel culture which I found pretty scary to do a podcast on because it's like, I mean, it's almost anything you say, you can get canceled, right? But my point in doing it was because I think it really needs to be said that there's some dangers to the mob takedown mentality where somebody can say something and immediately like lose everything without any conversation. And There's so many instances where I do believe people should lose everything because of something that they did or something that they said. But there's also instances where where that may not be the case. And so my point was that we need to be more into the idea of communicating and creating environments where people are not afraid to mess up, Mm -hmm. right? Because that's how we progress as individuals. And it's really important for us to keep that framework in our conversations because we're living in a time where human beings are so intensely divided. And unfortunately, we're not getting anywhere like that. There's just no way. You know, it takes us being able to work together to tackle any of the things that we're facing, specifically being humans on this planet. Like, we're not going to get anywhere if we can't come together around things that are really urgent and important things for our survival. And I think that the politicians and the capitalists and the, you know, corporations have been very, and I'm not saying I'm an anti-capitalist either. I'm just saying like the skewed values right now are dangerous for everybody because we're all being manipulated so that they can continue up on their agendas of money making at all costs, right? But like, we need to be able to think for ourselves and communicate with each other and not be so easily torn apart. and also not be so quick to to turn off. I mean, because what happens is we all follow like sheep, you know, we just, if there's video games, we're on it. If there's social media, we're on it. If there's drugs and that's what people are talking about with music, we're on them. And I just think we need to wake up and connect because those are things that also keep us from connecting. All of that stuff keeps us from connecting. So I think that in order to connect, we have to learn how to disagree and we have to learn how to be okay with disagreeing sometimes. Everybody's not going to think exactly the same. And I do believe that if somebody's saying something that's harmful or that's creating, inciting hatred or danger for people, that's unacceptable. And there's a lot of work to be done there. And I'm so happy and proud that people are being held accountable for all the things forever that no one's been held accountable for. And I think that's tremendous progress. So I'm not I'm not at all saying that that's a problem. But I also think that we can't run away with that and get lost in it. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, obviously there's such a history of challenges and exploitation. And then there's this whole other context of like, whether you're identified as left or right or Democrat or independent or Republican, just the way that it's so like, so polarized. You know, I have very close friends with people that served very high up in the Trump administration and friends that are very close with Ron Paul as a libertarian. And you and I both met at a Bernie Sanders event where we spoke and 
like, I want to hear where people's perspectives are. I want to understand what they're thinking and why they're thinking it and what's behind it and what's valuable to understand from those perspectives as opposed to just this super rigid orientation to, I'm just going to shut you out because I don't believe you didn't say something exactly politically correct or you didn't, you know, whatever it was, you know? And I think it's really what you're sharing about not being afraid to make mistakes. It's so important because if one of the greatest ways that we learn is by making mistakes, and if we're so afraid to make mistakes, and then we're really hampered. And we don't progress. Exactly. We really limit our growth. And so just for everybody in the audience, this is on uh, Santi Gold's podcast, Noble Champions. So we were just referencing a, a recent podcast she did on cancel culture, which is obviously a part of what we're talking about today. Shifting gears again, knowing that we're kind of coming near the end of our time here, I am so grateful to my mother for her strength and her courage to chart a better path for for us and our family. And I'm curious for you as a mother, when you think about how you template health to your children, how you model it in a culture that makes empty calories of sugar so readily available and so easy. And like my mother used to be, she used to have to manage what I was eating when I went to friends' houses, for example. And I'm curious, like, what do you find is the biggest challenge that you face as a mother as it relates to the ways that you create healthy patterns for your children? Well, it's really hard because if it was just me and if it was just my kids and I was just running the ship, we lived on a submarine, <laughs> it would be easy because I'm like, this is what you eat and this is what's good and whatever. The problem is when they come into contact with the entire rest of the world, or even, you know, my partner isn't always on the same page as me with food choices and everything. And then there's every holiday is candy based for children too. So, you know, I'll do something like, buy. I even actually, I ordered a whole bunch of like natural candy from Thrive and for Halloween, I was like, we'll use this. And then they didn't. They went trick-or-treating and they didn't want the candy with the erythritol. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They wanted the, the candy that their friends had. And, and so what I do is, first of all, I try to buy anything that I'm buying in the house. I try to keep it healthy. I also try to instill the information and the perspective on them. Like, what you eat is associated with how you feel and how healthy you are and your your life, your longevity and how well your brain works. And so basically, I think that's the best we can do as mothers is just like try to teach our kids how to make good decisions for themselves early on. Because, you know, even as they get to be teenagers, you're not going to be around. They're going to be faced with all kinds of things, have to make good decisions for themselves, right? So I think as parents, the best thing that we can do is try to give them the skills to make good decisions for themselves and give them the information to let them know why, why they're making these decisions. And that even goes with stuff about the planet and where we get our food from and, and what is organic and and why is it that when you go in these neighborhoods, this food is only available? And um, those conversations are, are just so important. Why can't we watch all of this type of TV? And why, you know, those conversations are, are how I try to, to teach my kids. Just being really honest with them. I'm really honest with my kids. And I think that the 
even about, you know, Thanksgiving for that's a good one we just passed and what that's about and where did that come from and, and why is it, you know, why, what happened? Why, why does everybody think it's about one thing when it's not really about that? You know, those conversations, my kids are four and eight and we have those conversations. And I think that that's how you, that's how you instill health in your children. And also the idea that health is holistic. Mm-hmm. My kids see me meditating lately and they'll one, my four-year-old came and he just sat in the room and was flipping through a book. He wasn't distracting me, so I let him stay. And then he laid his body on me while I meditated. And it's so important because not only does that help them see that that's what mommy does as part of her self-care and that's what you should learn to do, but also they can feel it. Mm-hmm. You're actually helping regulate them. Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. Just regulating the nervous system together. That's such a beautiful, yeah. that's, that's like one of those moments you'll never forget in your life. You're meditating and your your child regulates with you. And it's just such a sweet, I mean, you know, we're warm-blooded mammals, so we love to press our bodies against each other and regulate. You look at animals in any form, they're mammals. They're always like when they're in a pack, they're touching each other. It's really, really beautiful. We're wrapping up here. So we have a couple questions at the end. We like to ask people just kind of quick off the cuff, what does thriving mean to you? I think thriving, and I don't have a good definition, but I imagine that thriving is when you're continuing to grow and evolve. It's beautiful. And what areas in your life do you feel like you want to change to thrive more? Like what are, what are the areas where you feel like you could make changes that would be helpful? I would love to create more space for myself to do the things that help me thrive. And I think that involves so many different things. But I think that the pace of life right now is really challenging for me. And so I'm, I'm working on figuring out how to create the uh, more of the pace that I want. And that's going to involve defining success for myself my own way and creating an environment of support for myself as a Black woman and as a mother. That's very challenging because that's one of the genetic conditionings, you know, one of the, one of the generational trauma things that, that we inherit is like, to take on things to carry that aren't necessarily ours to carry. That's what's been passed down. And I want to start to undo that and to make sure I have the support that I need. Yeah, I think that whole relationship with time, I feel like that's one of the more complicated things that we navigate, you know, and I'm so grateful that you shared your time with us. Really encourage our listeners to go check out your podcast, Noble Champions, and your album, Spirituals, and to follow your work. And my tea, and my spirituals and, and your, and tea your while spirit, you listen spirituals to my podcast. tea while you're calming <laughs> and regulating yourself, sipping tea and listening to beautiful music. And just so grateful for you. I'm so happy that we met. I know we're going to be friends for life. And I know, I know. I'm like, I want to call you right after this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I really appreciate you. And I, I really... I hope for both of us, we develop healthier relationships with time that that give us the space. And that's definitely a prayer that I have for both of us. And I uh, really relate to that. And I, I'm so grateful that you've given us some time. And I'm really grateful that our audience gets to learn a little bit about you and just the incredible way that you think and feel and just have a lot of love and respect for you. Thank you. Same here. Good night. This podcast represents the opinions of the hosts and the guests on the show. The content here is for informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions or advice. Enjoy the show.